This is Talking With, Brian Lamb's conversation with historian Douglas Brinkley. Episode 15 starts after this. How much time have you spent around Barack Obama? Quite a bit. I mean, for a a random historian like myself, uh, um, I wrote for Obama's inaugural book when he got inaugurated. Uh, John Lewis, Tom Brokaw, and I did for the official inaugural book. The three of us did uh, the essays for it. So there's a book, the official. Other people were doing books on Obama, but the official inaugural um, book, you know, we did. Why'd you do Uh, it? Oh, an honor. It's the inauguration day of a new president. Um, You know, the first African-American president in history to write an essay along with... uh, John Lewis and Brokaw. Would um, you have done a Trump uh, inaugural? Um, I wouldn't have been asked. <laughs> you know, so it's uh, because I think Trump has different people that he, you know, he wasn't interested in a book. Uh, and he's a different media kind of person. Um, but I, um, but after that, I would see President Obama at the White House because he did, as you know, I've talked to you about before. We would have uh, historians meetings. Uh, What I did at those historian meetings was talk again, like I did with Trump, about national parks um, and the issue of the public lands and and preservation of places. Because I didn't don't know enough about Afghanistan. I don't want to walk into a meeting. You your Afghanistan policy. I'm not. I'm too humble for that. I do know what's going on at national monuments, parks, historic sites, preservation. And I feel I developed a nice relationship with Obama because I didn't go all over the place. I just said, you know, in in that way, I could talk to Ken Salazar or Sally Jewell at Interior um, and say, look, uh, right now, as I'm talking to you, Brian, I have some historic homes I'd like to save. Theodore Roosevelt's place, Pine Knot in Virginia, where he used to go, needs to become a national monument. Um, uh, Rachel Carson, the great environmentalist, her home in Maine should be a national monument. Um, And, you know, so I'm interested in these things of how to save different places in American history. But tell us how the historians meeting with Barack Obama was set up and how many were there and how often did it happen? Changing table. I was at all of them, but it would it was a rotating cast by and large. Um, there, Doris Kearns Goodwin was, I would call the, call her the energizer of it. Um, but she has a very good relationship with Barack Obama. Um, Doris Kearns Goodwin, much, much stronger bond than mine. Um, the but you know so it's a cast. I'm, I the promise I name a few and then you leave out some. But you know, Robert Caro was at one. Um, uh, Gary Wills uh, was at one, and then he wasn't. Was David McCullough. David McCullough was at one. He wasn't. Uh, Michael Beschkloss, um H. W. Brands, Kenneth Mack, a, a law, uh, excellent Harvard Law civil rights historian. And scholar, and so, um, and I'm obviously probably forgetting somebody, but I was consistently at them, and Doris was consistently at them. And what would happen? Um, it was great. Where would you meet? We uh, dining room. We'd all sit and um, go around, and he would ask us what we're writing, what we're working on. The ground rules were no nothing with contemporary politics. Obviously, it would get to it, but we would talk more about history. Um, 
in in the sense that if I'm working on a book on Theodore Roosevelt and the conservation, I talk about my book. Or if Doris Kearns was, you know, getting ready to write about leadership and president, she'd talk about her book. Uh, Robert Caro would talk about Lyndon Johnson in Vietnam. And it, it went like that. And uh, uh, not just Barack Obama, but Michelle would come and Valerie Jarrett would be at them. Uh, she wasn't at all of them, uh, Michelle, but um, and it would talk history. It would be like a historian's book club, presidential history book club. Did the president take notes? Um, he did. Valerie Jarrett definitely took notes. Uh, he would then would sign things. I've got him to sign um, the menu for my daughter. Um, I have two daughters, but I, I gave it to one daughter. I had him autograph it, and he would sign a few menus. Uh, uh, very genial, very relaxed, and I don't. I uh, Obama's, as we all know, is a big golfer. I honestly, Brian, felt that this presidential history thinking was for him recreation. Um, this was not him on the job. This was just fun for him to think of. Here you are, president, and now I'm hearing stories about James K. Polk or where somebody's telling me about what Herbert Hoover did. And all of the historians there, we collect colorful anecdotes over the over a period of time on presidents, some little funny stories and things that, you know, he obviously relished in hearing. Uh, keep in mind, Barack Obama, like Theodore Roosevelt, like Thomas Jefferson and a few others, really was a writer. I mean, he made a lot of money in his income on his books before he became, and he takes great care on them. And so his pre recent memoir that came out uh, on, um, you, know, uh, you know, his presidential memoir, it's a fine book, and he took a lot of great time and detail on it, and he's going to do a second volume. But why did Michelle Obama's book far outsell his? I loved Michelle's book. I reviewed that for the Boston Globe, and what I loved is her early chapters about Chicago and growing up an African-American community there and the cultural pulse of the city with, you know, Ernie Banks and the Chicago Cubs or her listening to Stevie Wonder albums and how, things that her father told her and how she could work her way to Princeton. And it, it was re it's really a good... Uh, and all, the whole book is, but the early chapters were just magnificent. Uh, what do you, but what do you think that means that she sold, what, close to 20 million copies and he didn't? Um, his is a lot more of a, a wonkish history book. I mean, his is detailed policy oriented, where hers had a more, uh, you know, about what it's like to be a mother and uh, you have your worry about your children. I think she hit a... Uh, a large market, um, but they both did great. They both earned out their advances, but it happened. Uh, there was a bet between Jimmy Carter and Rosalind Carter, and people don't know this really, but First Lady from Plains outsold Jimmy Carter's memoir. And, you know, so, and, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt wrote big autobiographies that made a, were really popular in their day. Um, so people like to hear the First Lady stories because you, you feel they're going to give you more of an interlook 
at what's going on in the White House. That uh, that uh, being a po- she's not a politician, Michelle Obama. So she's talking more as a mother, as a citizen, as somebody being thrown into this weird in- environment of White House culture. Well, the presidents are trying to put forward policy events and all that happened in Obama's book. There are some great set pieces in there. His writing about India. I particularly liked, and I never realized how profound uh, Gandhi was to the thinking of Barack Obama. I'd always thought Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King Jr., and his explanation of Gandhi was really, really, I found very interesting. And then the killing of Osama bin Laden, Operation Neptune Spear, that, you know, Barack Obama and William McRaven and the SEALs and all of that in a TikTok way uh, in Obama's book is really good. It could have been a book on on its own, just the killing and tracking uh, in, in of, of, um, of Osama bin Laden. So Obama's going to be writing. I, and then, then I've been involved with the oral history project of Barack Obama at Columbia University. I'm part of their storytelling there where we're doing oral histories. So I've been able to interview for that oral history project some people, um, you know, the, and, and that's been interesting. So I've stayed in the mix a little bit in that way. How often are oral histories used by historians from your experience? I love them. Uh, and the Obama one at Columbia universities where the oral idea of oral history project emanated. And the way they're doing the Obama one is just spectacularly thorough. And meaning they're also interviewing uh, young people that campaign for him and how their life has changed or, you know, uh, a child he met who then has a story. They're doing all sorts of innovative things and it's global. Uh, I find the provincialism of most presidential oral histories is they would only interview Americans, not world leaders. You know, what did it would have been nice to have an oral histories of all the world leaders and how they viewed Nixon, you know, interviewing Mao Zedong and showing lie on on their experience with Nixon would have been fantastic. And they may have done it, Mao and, and showing lie for all we know. But then nobody thought to really do that global Obama because he won a Nobel Peace Prize. He's seen as a global president very loved around the world, you, you, you know, for his eight years, getting the stories of heads of state and ambassadors and others, human rights organizers, all I think will be a big part of that oral history project. How many of those historian evenings do you think you had? I don't remember off off um, offhand, but, you know, because I interacted with, I also would see Obama, I wrote a, a cover story of him um, for Rolling Stone, and made some quite a bit of news. Um, it doesn't show up on my social media as much as you would think, but at the time it was big um, news when he was running against Romney. Um, so I would interview him and then also talk to him some about um, um, issues. I once went to, a while he was president, at a steakhouse here in Washington for a little group, and uh, he came walking in. And he was always punctual, but was just a little bit late and said to me, uh, 1.7 million um, uh, acres kind of baby sort of thing, which they had just did a Nevada wilderness um, uh, protection 
of 1.7 million acres, something that was back page news, but he knew I was interested in. Uh, and, you know, so the, my experiences with him during the years have been very real. I mean, I've had a, have a number of encounters. I spoke to him for quite a long time, um, right when his memoir came out. Uh, meaning a few months back, um, um, you know. For an interview or no, just, just chatting with him? Talking and uh, about Does he call book. you or do you call him? He was curious. He reached out to me. He was curious if I'd read the book and see what I thought on um, how it compared to other presidential memoirs. So what do you think? Though, so I'd read them. How many people actually have read these presidential memoirs? And so I could tell him. What was what his book reminded me of, which was more like um, um, George Kennan's memoirs, The Great Diplomat and Dean Acheson's President at the Creation, than a typical presidential memoir. But Bill Clinton's My Life is Pretty Good. I reviewed it for the Financial Times when it came out. Nixon's I use, the Nixon's memoir I talked about, you know, Henry Kissinger's. So I didn't think you had to just look at it as presidential memoir, but look at it as an important memoir of a public figure. The question I was going to ask you is, as a historian and being an insider, do you dare be critical of somebody like that? And then the access is cut off. I'm not worried about access in that way. I'm not writing a book on Obama. What he, what he, Having that, though, I could use it someday. You asked early, do I have notes? So if I have notes of a conversation, I don't need to monetize it. I don't need to be, ex- I just spoke to. I don't tell people about it. I just keep my notes. I have an archive. Uh, and someday some of my tapes or notes and things might be of interest to future but, scholars. But is there any doubt that both journalists and historians and people who have access to presidents pull their punches because they want future access? Uh, yes, I guess so. But I mean, interviewers. You yeah. go in there, if you go in there and you're slamming the person. Oh, well, no, of course. Uh, and that's different because... If you're an NBC News reporter and you're filming and it's going to air that next day, you can't look like you're being nice. I mean, you've got to be balanced. You know, you want to come across, you're being filmed too, and you want to come across as a hard-hitting journalist with hardball questions, but you also want to be seen as genial. I mean, so it's a, it's a, you're doing that. When you're a historian like this, I'm just trying to maybe get an anecdote about something. For example, when I got talked to Obama once about a trip to Alaska that he did, things that weren't in the newspapers, story about funny stories, interesting, you know, when he held a fish off the waters and, you know, little bits that aren't in a memoir, aren't in the Washington Post, aren't in that, that are fresh for history that I'll use in uh, perhaps my own book about a memoir someday. Or I might write about Obama in some context, and some of the things that I have I'll bring out then. It's about not being newsy. I don't need to be, the historian has the luxury of not being newsy. I don't need to make news. Uh, I'm more interested in a long-term um, you know, relationship and a long-term ability to realize that if I have a real history question, for example, with President 41, um, I was writing on Jimmy Carter, and I wanted to know Carter denounced the Iraq War. Carter denounced Bush 
um, as, as a going blindly into that war. And I think Bush did the right thing. We went in in 91 and he gave us a timeline in the sand. And uh, But at any rate, Carter tried to get people around the world to denounce Bush going in. So I never, Bush never would comment it because there's sort of, he was so g- gentleman, he never wanted to, um, to um, criticize a former president. And so there's no real record of it until I then asked Bush 41 because he knew me because I went to a event at Kenny Bunkport for Barbara Bush at a book event and that he know, knew my byline, did an event with Steve Ambrose. And so when I had to ask him about that, he wrote me a long letter about it. And he was called Carter every name in the book. And I have the letter. It, it's Did brutal. Did you ever publish that? Brutal on Carter. Only a little piece of it in my book on Carter. But I have it framed now because it was a very long and detailed response to how upset he was about that. I was able to get that response from him because of my previous encounters weren't confrontational. You know, so I have questions. If I ever wrote a book, Operation Neptune Spear on Osama bin Laden, uh, I'll know what Obama's put in his memoirs. I'll know what he said in previous interviews. But I'll also start noticing, well, you never answered these questions if I'm doing that book. And then I can go back at him and say, here are things I've never seen on the public record. Can you hear or here's what Liam Panetta told me. And you said this in your book, explain, there are two different versions going on here. You know, in that way, yes, you are trying to relationship build. Douglas Brinkley is an American historian and author. You can listen to more interviews with him by searching his name in the video library at cspan.org.